In this month's ianabernethy.com podcast, we're discussing the requirements of a moral, healthy and effective approach to violence. Hello everybody, I'm Ian Abernethy and thank you for tuning into the uh, the podcast. Just a couple of quick things to tell you about before we get into the main meat of this month's podcast. Uh, the first one is I just want to express my thanks to everyone for support of the Practical Katabunkai YouTube channel. Um, we set that up you know, a few years ago and we're fast approaching 2 million minutes of viewing time. <laughs> Which is incredible. I mean, that pretty much means that at some point, at any point, somebody somewhere is watching one of the videos, which is, yeah, it's incredible. So I'm really pleased that people are obviously finding those uh, videos useful. As you know, all I do with those is I keep a small pocket camera uh, in my kit bag when I'm at the seminars and we're doing something that I think you might find of interest. Um, I ask somebody to kindly film it and then we put them up online. So over the years, I think it's built up into a... A pretty good library and I really appreciate everyone's uh, support and sharing of those as well so yeah near two million so thank you very much everyone for that and also because this is likely to be the last podcast well it will be the last podcast of 2014 I'd just like to thank everyone for their support over the last year uh, all the people who've contributed to the website who followed on Facebook who've bought the books and DVDs who came to seminars you know I really appreciate all your help in allowing me to uh, to do what I do I particularly want to thank those who've organized the seminars came to the seminars and especially those who've while I've been traveling have been kind enough to um, open the homes to me as well I- I'm very blessed to be able to to do what I do for a living and I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to spend so much time with so many great people so it's been a really good year on the seminar front and you know I've met a lot of new friends and enjoyed the company of all friends so I just want to thank uh, thank everybody for the support in 2014. All right so let's um, talk about uh, this month's podcast then. In this podcast we're going to talk about the requirements of a moral, healthy and effective approach to uh, to violence using a, a model that I call the, the three years, which will get explained in a moment or two in the actual uh, in the actual podcast itself. So, um, yeah, okay, that'll do for this introduction. I hope you enjoy the main meat of this month's podcast. In this podcast, I wish to discuss the basic requirements of an effective and healthy approach to violence. Uh, Those who have been to the seminars will know that I'm of the view that a martial art needs to fulfil two objectives, if I'm to personally deem it a a useful and worthwhile investment of time and energy. So those two things are, martial arts should be life-preserving and life-enhancing. So we'll discuss those a bit, and we can further subdivide the life-preserving objective into two parts, because there are two ways in which the martial arts can preserve life. So the first is the development of an effective uh, self-protection and combat system such that we're able to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe when others should seek to harm us. So we have, you know, the self-defense aspect can preserve life. And the other part of it is the development of healthy bodies, minds and lifestyles that'll see us live uh, long and healthy lives. So there's the fitness and and, uh, part of it as well, you know, mental health part of it. Um, So thankfully, you know, we live in one of the least violent times in history and therefore for most people... The chances of having another human being try to kill you is very low. Um, however, to me, 
That set of skills is the very least a martial art should give us. Self-protection skills are an entry-level requirement of any worthwhile martial art. It's got to work. In these days, what's far more likely to contribute to a premature death um, are things like heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, stress, addiction to alcohol and tobacco, and so on. The physical and health benefits of training and the healthy lifestyle encouraged by martial arts are therefore another and statistically more significant way in which the martial arts can preserve life. Now, the life-preserving side of the martial arts are not enough on their own, however. You know, as I say at the seminars, there's no point in living to be a hundred if you hate every second of it. Uh, we need to embrace the martial arts in a way that they're also life-enhancing. You know, after all, it'd be a very sorry state of affairs if you're lying on your deathbed to conclude that the decades you'd spent studying the martial arts were a complete waste of time because no one tried to kill you. We have to enjoy the martial arts for their own sake and deem them to be an enjoyable and beneficial part of our lives. The martial arts can enhance our lives through giving us an enjoyable challenge, an opportunity to grow, a chance to honestly assess character under stress, uh, by bringing us into contact with motivated and positive people, and enabling us to meet new people and form lasting friendships and so on. You know, all of this is good for us, all of this enhances life. So no, I'm assuming that everyone, or almost everyone, listening to this will agree that the practice of martial arts is enjoyable and a rewarding way to spend time. However, to those with no direct involvement in the martial arts, it can seem like we're obsessed with violence. <laughs> you know, um, but of course, those who practice the martial arts know that's not the case. My 30 years plus of training has led me to spend a lot of time with countless positive people who are balanced individuals who are fun to be around. However, I have also met a minority who I would say obsess about violence, have an, have, uh, an unhealthy and unbalanced paranoia about criminal violence. Uh, this unhealthy mindset would obviously lead to the martial arts failing on the criteria of being life-enhancing. Um, you know, the promoting paranoia and an obsession with violence, and that's not healthy. Uh, I've also met some deluded individuals who have reinvented violence in their own minds, such that the teaching and practicing utter nonsense, and hence in that case I would say the failing on the fundamental criteria of having their system to be life-preserving. So that brings us to the core questions of this podcast. You know, how do we approach violence in a way that's both practical and healthy? So in a way that's both life-preserving and life-enhancing. Uh, so one model we can use to ensure we do this is the three A's, which are appreciation, ability, and attitude. Um, appreciation, ability, and attitude. Um, so what we've got to do is ensure that we have all three of those uh, correct and uh, present in an integrated fashion. So let's, you know, let's clarify what I mean. So let's quickly discuss uh, each of the A's in turn, and then we'll also look at how they, uh, they relate to one another. So the first thing we need, appreciation, is a correct appreciation of violence. In order to have an effective and healthy attitude to violence, we need to appreciate its, its true nature. Uh, the martial arts frequently fail here because they reinvent violence in their own mind to their particular sporting expression, the arbitrary aesthetics of their particular art, uh, what people see in TVs and movies and so on. Real violence is close, ugly, chaotic, extremely damaging, and is something that all sane, balanced and law-abiding people will want to stay as far away from as possible. It's not fun, it's not romantic, it's not manly, and it's certainly not aesthetically appealing. Um, it's also not honourable, fair, and the best man doesn't always win. Indeed, the criminal element will use every means necessary to avoid a fair fight. They don't want to fight. They just want to take 
from you whatever it is they want in the simplest way possible. And then to fight is not what they are seeking. Training fighting skills in the belief that that will fully equip you to deal with criminal violence is therefore naive. Uh, we need to appreciate what violence is really like. We need to understand the problem if we are to effectively provide a solution. Having a correct appreciation of violence is therefore a must if we're to approach violence in an effective and a healthy way. So the next A is ability, you know, the ability to deal with violence. So once we accurately appreciate the nature of violence, then we need to train to develop the skills to deal with it. Understanding the problem is not enough on its own. We need to be able to solve that problem. Training must be realistic, such that it accurately mimics, as far as safety will permit, the real nature of violence. We must also ensure we don't fail by falling into the trap that many martial artists do and simply concentrate on the physical side of things. We also need to include threat awareness, threat assessment, threat avoidance. These things need to be covered in training. As do things like de-escalation, the law, escape skills, uh, dealing with the physical, emotional and mental aspects of before, during and after, and, and so on. You know, there's, there's a lot more than just kicking and punching. So the final A was the attitude. We need a healthy attitude to violence. Now the martial arts have always stressed the need for a moral code to be imparted along with physical skills. As a traditional karateka, the one that leaps to mind for me as the prime directive is that there is no first attacking karate. Now, we've discussed that in previous podcasts, and it doesn't mean that the karateka should let the enemy launch uh, a physical attack before they do anything physical in response. Hitting first in order to facilitate escape, when it has become apparent that such a physical response is the only practical option left, is a tactic endorsed by many of the past masters, such as Funakoshi, Mabuni, Motobu, and so on. Now, we've covered this in depth before, but I think the writings of the aforementioned masters on this topic bears a quick repeating due to the fact it does outline, I think, what um, a healthy attitude to violence should be. You know, it's what we're seeking to emulate and adhere to. So let's start with uh, Kenwa Mabuni, okay, the founder of uh, Shitoru. So he wrote this, he said, When faced with someone who disrupts the peace, or it will do one harm, one is as a warrior in battle, and so it only stands to reason that one should seize the initiative and preempt the enemy's use of violence. Such action in no way goes against the precept of no first attack. The expression of karate ni sentanashi, no first attack in karate, should be properly understood to mean that the karateka must never take a hostile attitude or be the cause of a violent incident. He or she should always have the virtues of calmness, prudence and humility in dealing with others. So again, we can see, you know, that there's a, a practical expression of how we deal with violence there, but also, you know, the instruction that we should never be the cause. So let's look at what Motobu had to say about it. He goes, there is a saying, no first attack in karate. To be sure, it is not the martial arts spirit to train for the purpose of striking others without good reason. I assume that you already understand that in karate, one's primary goal is the training of mind and body. But when a situation can't be avoided and the enemy is intent on doing you serious harm, you must fight ferociously. When one does fight, taking control of the enemy is vital and one must take that control with the very first move. Therefore, in a fight, one must attack first. It is very important, uh, very important to remember this. So again, we see Motobu there, again, being very practical about the physical side of it, but also emphasising you know, that there's, there's a moral code, there's, a, there's an attitude that we need to take. 
uh, Funakoshi from Karate Do Kyohan. He said, when there are no avenues of escape or one is caught even before any attempt to escape can be made, then for the first time the use of self-defence techniques should be considered. Even at times like these, do not show any intention of attacking, but first let the attacker become careless. At that time, attack him, concentrating one's whole strength in one blow to a vital point, and in the moment of surprise, escape and seek uh, shelter, and shelter and help. So what we see from all of those is, you know, that they're the, the very clear that when we can't avoid it, you know, so if we can avoid violence, we do avoid violence. We're, we're never the cause of violence. But when violence can't be avoided, then it has to be dealt with effectively. So no first attacking karate is not a tactical instruction, it's a moral instruction. It means that we should never be the cause of violence and that we should always have done everything we can do to avoid it. Now contrast that with a criminal who is actively seeking violence. You know, um, very different. Uh, now I was, uh, I was once at a seminar taught by the incredibly talented Rick Young. And for those who've never trained with Rick, you're really missing out. He's a, a very nice guy, great coach. And I personally would regard him as the most impressive all-round martial artist that you know I've ever trained with. And at this particular seminar of Rick's, he was discussing how um, that if he needed to, uh, that he would use his skills to harm others who were threatening his life. And he then went on to say that if anyone was to try and harm his family, then he'd have no qualms about using his skills to inflict damage upon them. But you know, what followed after that was definitely one of the coolest and most profound things I've heard expressed in such a succinct way. And that was around nine years ago that this, this particular seminar happened. So I hope my paraphrasing does, uh, and my memory do it justice, and apologies if that's not the case. But as I remember it, uh, after explaining that Rick had said, you know, he would use um, his skills to inflict pain on people if they were threatening him or his family, he then went on to say, um, I'm not harming those people because I hate them. I would be harming them because I love my family and I love my life. Therefore, when I inflict damage and pain on another human being, it will be because of love, not hate. <laughs> no, I absolutely loved that, you know, was, and, as did everyone else at the seminar. And it was a real privilege to hear it firsthand. You know, there's a different motivation. The criminal is motivated by um, hate or want, you know, whereas the martial artist, when they're protecting themselves, you know, it would be motivated by, by love, um, you know, what they wish to protect. Now, a similar sentiment to the one Rick expressed um, is expressed in the following quotation from writer and theologian uh, G.K. Chesterton. Now, he said, he said, A true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. I like that. And again, it, it marks a difference between, um, say, moral violence and immoral violence. Now, I'm also reminded of a, a conversation between uh, that was recounted to me between two very well-known martial artists. Um, now, before I sat down to record this, I wanted to check on a few details of this conversation, but was unable to get in touch with the right people. So I'll therefore leave it anonymous and leave out detail in case I'm getting anything wrong. But for our purposes, it's a sentiment that's important. So anyway, um, one of them asked the other, you know, how do they approach self-defense in the training? And the second martial artist told the first that it was not something that he really concerned himself with these days. He said that he had a lifestyle that kept him away from people and places where criminal violence was likely. The first martial artist acknowledged that that was the ultimate in self-defence, but pushed further, saying that it was possible, through no fault of one's own, to find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the second martial artist acknowledged this was true. The first martial artist then asked what the second would do in such a situation. 
The second said he would try to escape, talk the situation down, indeed he would anything he could do to avoid it coming to a point where physical skills were needed. Now the first acknowledged the wisdom of this, but pushed further, saying what would he do if he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and all attempts to avoid a physical response had failed? And the second martial artist replied, he goes, then I'd have to think that that man had been sent to me by God to be taught a lesson. <laughs> so I love that, like. So again, I think that sums up the attitude that a true martial artist will have to violence. It's not something we seek. And it's something we will do everything in our power to avoid. Uh, and then if we can't avoid it, then our motivation for acting comes from a desire to protect ourselves and others. Compare that with the criminal or violent thug who has actively sought out violence and is motivated by a desire to harm others or to take that which is not theirs. When the fists start flying, obviously both the criminal and the martial artist are engaged in violence. However, it is their desires and motivations that puts a huge gulf between their actions. One is engaging in violence from a morally upright position of there being no other option. The other is engaging in violence from the morally repugnant position of having actively sought it out. So having defined what we mean by appreciation, ability and attitude, I'd now like to discuss how these three interrelate a little more and uh, the importance of ensuring that all three are effectively addressed. And I think that maybe the simplest way to do this is that we'll assume uh, that each one in turn is lacking and then we'll discuss how that affects the other two. So the first one is, you know, what are the results of a lack of appreciation of violence? Now, as we've already touched on, if we don't appreciate the true nature of violence, then there's no way we'll be able to develop the ability to address it. The problem is insufficiently understood, so any solution is sure to be lacking. A lack of uh, appreciation as to the nature of real violence can also hugely contribute to an unhealthy attitude towards it. You know, if you mistakenly buy into the movie myth of violence being manly, exciting and largely consequence-free, then you're far less likely to seek to avoid it. Dumb notions of being a man and standing your ground are likely to see you engage in violence when it could have been avoided. And because it was a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of violence that got you into that situation in the first place, there's a very good chance of severe physical harm and legal issues. Um... Mistaking violence to be like an honourable sporting contest, uh, where the best man is also going to be uh, the winner, is going to lead to all kinds of problems. As we discussed at length in the recent podcast on street fighting, criminals don't want to fight. And also, although we have a legal right to protect ourselves from unsolicited violence, we don't have a legal right to fight in the street. So if we fail to correctly appreciate violence, it follows that we won't have the ability to deal with it, and it's also much more likely that we'll have a poor attitude towards violence as well. So let's look at the, the next one. So, you know, what if we've got a lack of ability to deal with violence? How does that impact on uh, the other two? Uh, now, where it is not possible to deal with violence without appreciating its true nature... It is possible to appreciate its true nature and not be able to deal with it. This is particularly true of the last resort physical skills, which take a lot of time and dedication to acquire, which is why awareness and lifestyle choices are much more effective solutions for to criminal violence. Now, it may seem that like a lack of ability to deal with violence would not contribute to an unhealthy attitude towards it. After all, you know, you're far more likely to avoid something that you understand as the ability to cause you great harm. I mean, overconfidence is a potential problem for many martial artists. Um, however, 
you know, and except we're moving into philosophical realms here, I would say that a lack of ability to deal with violence can also negatively affect the martial artist's attitude towards violence. Now, a, a clever, you know, really good summation of this is found in the following uh, quote from uh, Takamura of Takamura Ha Shindo Yoshinru Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, Shindo Yoshinru Jiu-Jitsu, of course, having an impact on uh, Wadaru Karate, which is a, the system my foundations are found in. So, um, this, this, in this particular lineage, anyway, of, of Takamura, he said, A pacifist is not really a pacifist if he is unable to make the choice between violence and non-violence. A true pacifist is able to kill or maim in the blink of an eye. But the, at the moment of independent destruction of the enemy, he chooses non-violence. He chooses peace. Only a warrior who has tempered his spirit in conflict and who has confronted himself and his highest fears, his greatest fears, can, in my opinion, make the choice to be a pacifist. Now, uh, Dave Grossman and Lauren Christensen, um, their distinction between sheep, sheepdog and wolves also captures this very succinctly. Now, in that analogy, and if you want to read the full article, it's on my website under the guest writer section. But um, Dave Grossman and Lauren Christensen said there are essentially three types of people. Sheep, sheepdogs and wolves. So a sheep is a person with zero capacity for violence. Now it should be noted here that while being called a sheep is sometimes used in a derogatory sense, you know, like being unthinking and easily led, uh, that's not the case with this analogy. It's solely that lack of capacity for violence that's being discussed. So sheep are good folks. If the world was full of sheep, then it would be a peaceful and idyllic place. Unfortunately, we live in a world with wolves. And wolves are people with a capacity for violence who are more than happy to prey on the sheep. You know, wolves, therefore, represent the, you know, the violent criminal. And then finally, what we've got is sheepdogs. Now, a sheepdog has the capacity for violence, but it uses that capacity to protect the sheep from wolves. A sheepdog will never attack the sheep in the way a wolf would. As martial artists, it's that capacity to be sheepdogs that I think we should be aiming for. So you know, we have the ability to deal with violence, but we would never use it in a negative way. Um, now, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, I feel that developing the ability to preserve life through being able to effectively deal with violence is a base and entry-level requirement for any martial art that I would personally be interested in. You know, so therefore, we don't want to be a sheep in sheepdog's clothing. You know, <laughs> we need to be actually able to deal with violence, not just pretend we can. You know, um, now because the ability to deal with violence is a goal of martial training, it should be it's a fundamental goal of what we do. Then we remove the option of remaining as uh, being a sheep. You know, we should have the capacity for violence. Um, so we therefore remove that option of avoiding violence through inability or cowardice. Uh, we avoid it because of a genuine moral choice and an understanding as to the true nature of violence. It's only when we have the capacity for violence that the moral choice to avoid it effectively means anything. Um, now, we also develop an unhealthy attitude to violence when we deny the existence of wolves. Society needs its sheepdogs. Uh, rejecting violence through choice, when such a choice exists, is noble, moral and healthy. Rejecting violence wholesale under any circumstances allows the wolves to run free. You know, as George Orwell said, you know, people uh, sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. We need our sheepdogs. We need good, caring people that have the ability to deal with violence. Um, 
the acceptance of that, I would say, is part of a, a healthy attitude towards violence. So let's talk, you know, what happens if we do have this unhealthy attitude towards violence as well? What if that's lacking? What if we're lacking on the attitude? So a person who has a good appreciation and the ability to employ violence, but who lacks a healthy attitude to violence, is a danger to everyone who crosses their path and society generally. Such a person will be a thug, a criminal, possibly even a fully-fledged psychopath. It is for this reason that the development of discipline, self-control and good character have always been a core part of martial arts training, military training even for that matter. It is these elements that ensure the martial arts make a positive contribution to society. The fact that good character and combative skills should go hand in hand for the martial artist is nicely encapsulated by one of my favourite sayings. It says, a true martial artist is someone whose smile will warm the hearts of little children but whose anger will make tigers cower in fear. The link uh, between combative skill and making a positive contribution to society is also nicely captured in uh, Kano's three levels of judo. So Kano's the founder of judo. And he said there was three levels. There's lower level judo, which is a study of judo as a fighting system. There's middle level judo, and that's actively taking the testing on austere nature of training uh, at lower level judo to help you develop you physically and mentally and then you've got higher level judo which is using the who has grown physically and mentally um, they're better able to make a, a contribution to society and those around them so I love that model because it's simple and it shows a link between the jitsu and the do you know we start by studying fighting that tests our character we use the test to help build our character and therefore hopefully we're able to make a better contribution to those uh, to those around us to society that you know of which we're part now it should be obvious that the individual who actively enjoys and seeks out violence has an unhealthy attitude to violence that person is a menace to society um, the same can be said as well you know that if someone's obsessed with criminal violence that it's crossed the line from sensible precautions to unfounded fear and paranoia, that person will be unnecessarily mistrustful, uh, they won't be unable to interact with others without fear and aggression manifesting themselves. You know, that can be a problem too. The precautions we take in everyday life should always be proportionate to the potential risk. If the precautions are insufficient, then we're leaving ourselves open to uh, potential you know, difficulties. If the precautions are excessive, then we're living our lives in fear. You know, and an unfounded and disproportionate fear of crime can be harmful in itself. You know, that too can be part of an unhealthy attitude towards violence. Uh, in his book, Wadaru Karate, uh, Utsuka, the founder of Wado, uh, he said, uh, there's an old saying, leave one's yard and find seven enemies. No matter how skilled one is in the martial arts, he will find himself unprepared if he is encountered off guard. Ideally, then, one should constantly be in a state of preparedness. It then goes on. Uh, preparation of one's mind is necessary at all times. Not to the extent of paranoia, but as a course of habit. So it's this habit of preparation that we should seek to adopt, not harmful paranoia, but healthy precautions, awareness and preparedness that are commensurate with the actual level of the threat. So for both moral and practical reasons, we need to have a healthy attitude to violence. This is also to be encouraged so martial arts can continue to make a positive contribution to society and the individuals that practice them. Now, you know, there's lots of many differing aspects to these three years and, you know, this podcast could run on and on and on. However, I think what we've discussed up to this point frames the various issues and should allow you to 
think about it further. So to summarise, it's my view that we need to ensure we are ticking all three boxes when we practice and teach. We need to ensure correct appreciation, ability and attitude to violence. Um, all three of those need to be developed. If we fail to get a true appreciation, then our training will be inaccurate. If we fail to develop true ability, then our training will be ineffective. And if we fail to develop a healthy attitude, then our training will be immoral. Cover all three effectively and our training will produce effective martial artists who are able to protect themselves and others and who will make a positive contribution to society. Well, that's just about it for this podcast and indeed the podcasts in 2014. So thank you for your support of them over the last year. I appreciate you listening in um, and obviously spreading the word on them, telling people about them. I, I love putting the podcasts together, but there'd be little point in doing it if nobody listened. <laughs> so, you know, you are the other half of this equation. So thank you for uh, for making it, uh, making it work. And as I've said before, and I often conclude the podcasts, you know, the podcasts and the youtube videos and all that kind of stuff totally free to anyone who wants it but they're not free for me to make so those who are kind enough to go to the seminars to buy the books to buy the dvds in fact you know we even have uh, donations in the shopping part of it as well if you just want to drop us a few pounds a few dollars or a few euros or whatever just to help out that's obviously uh, appreciated too so thank you in free support in whatever form it comes i'm very grateful for all of it uh hope you have a great holiday season and I'll be back with a new podcast early in 2015. Okay, have a good one. Speak to you soon. Bye.